All right, Brian. Brian Renfro, thank you so much for being on uh, Going Again podcast. I'm stoked that you're here. And I know Randy is stoked. That yeah, I am here. stoked. Let's not give him a chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you. And yeah. you, you drove up from North Carolina just to see us? Oh, absolutely. That's Wicked. just silly. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been a crazy uh, world. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, I feel like uh, it's, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm wearing milk-bone shorts. And so it's <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get funny. to the dog stuff soon enough. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. This is a good lesson for anyone who doesn't want to come and chat over our table. Uh, people, we, people ask us all the time, do you do Zoom? Do you do Zoom? No, we don't do Zoom. And we don't do live streaming. We do it over the table, intimate and close. Yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, being in the studio is where it's at. I think people, I mean, for me at least, I, I don't like watching podcasts that uh, that are over Zoom. On I mean, computer. what's the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is way cool. Anyway, Brian, thanks for driving up all yeah. the way. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. I'll send you... Uh, all the receipts that you know. <laughs> <Totally. laughs> that's awesome um so brian uh, just for the sake of the viewer and the listener um you're a stunt man an actor stunt coordinator author um dog uh, for the lack of another term dog trainer yeah unless yeah. that's what the term you use um man I, like, I, I am I mean, I Did am. Did you not I read am. your yes, book? Yes, I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that's crazy. So, uh, hey, what are you up to? What do you do? What? So, hey, where did it all start? Where Where are you from? Um, well, I explained that in this uh, autobiography, but uh, it it really um, it really started probably the for me in around 1967. Um, I got arrested. I was in a gang and got arrested for um, something I didn't do, which was fine because um, I didn't get arrested for a lot of things I did do. So, <laughs> so kind of even out. Like yeah, kind of even out. And uh, after I, I did my little time and, and the uh, same two cops pulled me over the day I got out of jail and told me that I was either going to uh, go to prison or I was going to get killed and um, to get out of the club. And fortunately for me, um, <clears throat> there was a little thing called Vietnam going on, mm. and um, I uh, it took me mm, probably six months and three tries to get in the army, and that really straightened me out. And now, that, why did it take so many tries? Is it because you had gone to jail? Do they don't? Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. Which was <clears throat> I thought was really funny because um, the only thing I had on my record uh, was fighting. There were no drug charges, no robberies, you know, no felonies. It was just fisticuffs and, you know, battery. It's kind of what kind of, you want to have over there. Well, that's kind of what I thought, but they'd, <laughs> they'd rather take somebody who's burning their draft card. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wow. So, you know, they, but they finally took me and, and uh, um, you know, I uh, basically said I was really intelligent and all that, and they gave me an M16 and threw me in a jungle. <laughs> Damn. Sweet. So they believed you when you said you were intelligent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was a you know, rocket scientist. You know, I ought to be doing something else. You know, right? the rest yeah. of us know you. Yeah. So, <laughs> this guy's trying too hard to get in. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. So um, we won't mention the, the gang, but so this is a biker thing. I, I had a bike. Uh, it was more of a, a car club. <laughs> oh, yeah. They all had cars, but some of them had motorcycles. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't good. And and actually, I, I, I have the tattoo on my back of the club. I was going to ask, yeah. And wow. I, I've always kept it. And, and that is to remind me, never go back. Oh, that's interesting. Never go back. And I, I kind of, you know, I've always had mixed feelings about tearing down statues and everything because we have to... Remember we our can't, history. Yes, we, we can't tear down and mm. forget history. We did things. We have to remember so we don't do them again. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know? no, I, I do wonder, though, if they're tearing down statues now, what did they do 100 years ago? They must have torn down something and erased history then, too. It's possible. Yeah. Uh, and who knows? I yeah. mean, you know, um, uh, and it's funny because it's like, you know, honestly, I didn't have anything to do with a lot of things that you're really upset about. You know, I have nothing to do with it. I was a poor kid. I was in a gang. I went to jail, you know. Um, and after I got out of, out of the army, um, uh, I got a job cleaning cages for 50 bucks a week at Universal Studios in the animal show. And uh, I went from there to becoming the head performer and the head trainer. Of the animal show? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, how did you... Why would you go there to get a job? Is that you just went there to get a job? No, no. My my uncle uh, ran the show. Okay. Uh, going way back when my my father was a stuntman in silent comedies. Okay. And uh, sunbeam comedies in Florida, and from there he pioneered wow. uh, the dog training thing. He taught uh, Frank in who did Benji, taught um, Rod Weatherwax who did Lassie. Uh, they all worked for him in the beginning. And uh, so that, and then my uncle learned also from my father. And then he started, he, he, uh, my uncle did the movie The Birds. He did all the birds in, in the movie The Birds. Now, you, is it true that you were on set as a kid of The Birds? Uh, I was on set actually in uh, an hour gang like thing Hitchcock when I was about five, five years old. As uh, my brother and I walked a, a dog across the, uh, you know, we were extras with a dog. No kidding. But and I did get to go. Um, <clears throat> to uh, to the set of the birds, and when it's a scene where the Tippy Hedron is sitting on the bench, and behind her, you know, the the ravens start to come in and keep coming in, and so they did that green screen back in the day, and um, so I got to sit there, got to meet uh, the big guy, uh, uh, <laughs> Hitchcock. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Hey, we're, only, we're only one one removed from. From, Hitch Hitchcock. from Hitchcock, yeah. It's pretty good. That is really wild. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool, and I had really no idea what movie business was, sure. nor I really didn't care. And uh, and we, uh, my grandmother um, and grandfather, they had a bigger house, so we had nothing but uh, baby um, crows and ravens and having to constantly feed them with syringes and stuff, getting ready for this, uh, the movie, The Birds. That's history, man. So how much of it was real? I mean, there's birds hitting the phone booth, you know, and there's, there's all birds that. whacking her on the head. Yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff. They, they, you know, obviously now with CGI, they can do a whole lot more. Sure. Um, which is kind of a shame because kids are growing up thinking that's what a bear looks like and it's, you know, dancing and having to yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not real. Um, but yeah, I, and being, uh, not being on the set and not knowing anything, I really don't know, but I, I know that Hitchcock was so far ahead of uh, what, what he was doing yeah. and what people were doing, you know. Like technology but, wise. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he may have been using something other than a real bird. Yeah, oh, no, they, they pretty much used, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I, my uncle told me that there's a scene where, um, um, I don't know if it's Tippy Head, no, I think it's the other actress. Anyway, they, it goes into a room and there's a whole bunch of birds. Suzanne Plachette? Yes, 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 very good. And um, so they sent a stunt girl, you know, they, they fill this room full of birds. And they sent a stunt girl in there, and uh, from what I understand, she wanted out of there right away. Really? No Immediately. Shit. <laughs> now, why? Why? What? What? Why are it's, people afraid of birds? Well, they are. Yeah. When they're Some trained people. to attack you. Yeah, I suppose. But, but they're, they're little tiny. But they weren't trying. You know, it's just a whole bunch of birds flying around. But uh, you know, some people get. Uh, now, this is a story I heard. And right. It's, you know, it, who knows? It could be a, a, a total lie. But I don't think so. Woman on the phone some people do her. have like a fear <laughs> of birds, though. Oh yeah, absolutely. People really fear birds. Absolutely. Little dinosaurs yeah. with feathers. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I guess they're like tiny little pterodactyls. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I I um, uh, I did that and and uh, worked at the studio for a long time and uh, at Universal. I got out of there around eighty five. Yeah, but so let's not cut that to the chase. What did you do in the show? Like, what was it? Like, what? Oh, um, it was I. The live show was about fifteen minutes. We had uh, bird, dog, cat. Um, and one of the main characters was Fred the Cockatoo from the Beretta series. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I was the I performed the show, and trained a lot of the animals for the show. And uh, honestly, out of all the things I've done in my entire life, and that includes stunt work and acting and all that, if I could have made a living <clears throat> doing the the live animal show. That would have been what I wanted to do. I, I was wow. very, very good at performing, um, and even the people in the Black Tower, you know, uh, at Universal gave me. They said I was the best performer in the, there, and I loved it. I loved it, but it it paid no money. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Couldn't imagine. make a living. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's neat. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So you go from Universal. Well, I went. Um, uh, I went from there, and uh, fortunately, Frank Inn, the owner and trainer of Benji, and one of the greatest uh, uh, movie animal trainers ever, um, he called me one day, and I was pretty down and out at this point. I wasn't making any money, and he said, uh, um, "We're going to do this movie. It's called Benji the Hunted, and it's all up in the mountains, and I can't physically do it, and I I would really." I really want you to train and, and work Benji for this movie. And the reason he wanted to, I had a TV series in 80 and 89 called Here's Boomer. And it was, uh, and I did the, you know, I trained the dog and did the show and he was a big fan of that. So he asked me, which was <clears throat> amazing since he had a whole kennel full of trainers. And right. He didn't oh, yeah. use any of them. Yeah, that's complimentary, right? That's awesome. Oh, I, you know, it's, it's like Spielberg saying, hey, I want you to direct my next film. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the when biggest has, thing there. When he has anybody. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So I did that, and uh, it worked out really well. Uh, the movie wasn't uh, very well received. It just wasn't that good. I mean, it was, you know, just Benji going from here to there. But as far as <clears throat> trainers go, it was very difficult because Benji had to pick up live, small baby cougars and carry them up mountains and things. 
And this is a real cougar. Dogs you know? don't normally do that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we started them off with uh, uh, just a toy, and then we went to kittens, just kittens, and then we went to the actual cougars. And most of them were pretty good. Every once in a while, a cougar would, you know, uh, turn around and get him to get in his face. But uh, And and <laughs> the director, Joe Camp, who is um, a, an amazing person, uh, just amazing, he... he Created, wrote, directed, produced, and distributed most of the Benjis. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, but he, when we would do something like the um, Benji, um, taking the little cougar up a mountain and going across, and go, it, we didn't angle the camera so it looks like a high. It was high and steep. Mm. And oh, <clears throat> one wow. time, I, I so what I would do is I would have Benji go up and tell her where to go, and she would find her own path. And at one point, she had to jump from one rock to another quite high, you know. And so once she found her own, her own path, I'd bring her back down, and then I'd give her a stuffed uh, uh, kitten toy to do the same path, you know. Okay, we're ready to go, and uh, then, okay, pick it up with a live cougar, and she was, and we had cougar girls who were, um, oh, that sounds funny, doesn't it? No, we have but, cougar, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cougar girls. Yeah. But the, the girls that took care of the cougars, we had um, two of them that were raising the cougars because they grow so fast. We had to have like six different litters to keep the babies because oh, they wow. grow real fast. So we had um, two girls who were, who were raising them, um, and uh, the other girls were helping raising, but also training and then also working the cougars. Um, so they were all out when we're doing this one particular scene, and I sent it Benji up, and okay, do it. So here's the cougar, and when the cougar leaped, or, or when Benji leaped uh, from one rock to another, she dropped the cougar. And, uh, yeah. you know, of course the girls are screaming. And so I dove in <laughs> and caught the cougar, and I could do no wrong after that. Ever. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> what would you like? Stunt safety, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was really cool. That and then cool. after that, I, I, I oh the one great thing that uh, was really cool. We did a um, a U.S. tour for the Benji thing, um, and we were you know we went from city to city. You'd you'd work all day. Um, and then you'd get into the next city about 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, uh, get a little bit of sleep, you know, walk Benji at around five and get all ready and, and then hit all the places that we were going. So we, we got a lot of sleep in, in the limo, basically, mm -hmm. uh, going around. And then after that, they sent me on a world tour um, where I went to Holland, Japan, um, Italy, and uh, I don't know, some other country. <laughs> But uh, that was really interesting, and I, there's a picture in here I have of uh, Benji and I. Oh, in France, and uh, Benji and I did the 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 top show. It was a, a variety show, the the uh, the highest rated show in France, and they put me in this massive penthouse, and it's just me and this little dog, and we we're bouncing around like BBs in a box car. <laughs> and it was for me, it was very boring. I I you know. Yeah. I, I didn't like, I didn't need all that, but, you know, they put you in there because <clears throat> the press comes in and they do pictures and all that, so they wanted a, 
a big elaborate, uh, uh, and it's great to travel with a, uh, you know, somebody who's a star. You get really, you get treated really right. <laughs> you get yeah. treated the same yeah. as they do. Um, you mentioned this. People can't see it. Just pick up your book for a oh. second and show this camera. Uh, Hard Work and Dumb Luck by Brian Renfro. Um, uh -huh. Where can people buy that book? Uh, Amazon. Amazon. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, but that's cool. And I'm going to get you to sign that for me uh, on camera later. Oh, okay. Uh, what's the name? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Anyway. So, hey, let me ask you a question. Is um, Benji the dog is a female? The original Benji was, do you, <clears throat> you would remember this because you're an old fart like me. Yeah. Do you remember Petticoat Junction? I don't take that from just anybody. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't take it from I do, me. of course, yes. Petticoat. Really? Higgins was the dog on Petticoat Junction. Yeah. And I think his name was actually Dog. I don't think they had a name for him. They just called him Dog. And from there, um, then Frank and, and uh, Joe Camp got together and wanted to do this Benji. So I think the first movie was For the Love of Benji, I think. And Higgins did that. Um, and Higgins sired um, <clears throat> a litter of puppies and passed away. He, he was much older when he did that movie. The only one that really looked like Benji in the litter was a female. Okay. okay. So every other thing uh, up until um, that Benji passed away, um, the female was, was the Benji, but the original one was a male. Okay, so but the female Benji was playing a male Benji in the movie. Yes. You know, you can't do that today, eh? Yeah, well, you know, Benji you, would have been canceled. Brian, come on, man. <laughs> no, no wigging. You should have known. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. So then, you know, after that, um, <clears throat> I got a call to, uh, I was supposed to, actually, Gary Drove, who's uh, the, the biggest animal training company in the world, Birds and Animals, he called me and said, look, um, you can either do this movie called Steel Magnolias or... If you were, were going to do a, a, a remake of Ren 1010 Canine Cop in Toronto, Canada, and you'd be the second trainer on that. And, but he said, you can do all the dog attacks. And I was like, okay. As a stunt guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, wicked. Because I <clears throat> had always wanted to be a stunt guy. And uh, I had done a movie in around 1976 or so. Um, Kent Bateman's father, um, I mean, Jason Bateman's father, Kent Bateman, had written and was directing a movie with uh, Mel Torme as the, the actor. And the, uh, uh, I went and worked, uh, my eagle, my golden eagle, was a main character in the show. And I, as a matter of fact, I, I used to, uh, Jason and uh, Justine would come up and visit the dad. And that's when I first met Jason Bateman. Um, he wow. was about, I don't know, maybe eight or around eight or ten years old, I think, and we got to be really good friends. And I kind of, I kind of feel bad that, <clears throat> you know, I don't know him anymore and I, I don't talk to him, uh, but I'm, I feel bad that we lost contact because uh, I worked with him. Um, and after that, I worked on a, a, a TV series called Valerie that he was in, and uh, he would always call out to me in the parking lot and say, "Hey, how you doing? Come on, you know." No. And then I worked with him on a Little That's House cool. on the Prairie. He okay. was on that show too. Um, 
But so after that, I uh, I went in and came up on the Cats and Dog TV show. Yeah, I remember very well. Wow. Yeah. It's so cool. And, and I got to do all the dog attacks. And then <clears throat> fortunately through um, Allison Reed and um, Dwayne McLean, um, I was able to, and Rick Forsythe, I was able to move from just doing dog attacks to uh, a stunt performer where you know, stair falls and car hits and fire burns and all that. Yeah. So that's, I was there that's, for a lot of them with you. <clears throat> What's that? <laughs> I was there for a lot yeah, of them. <laughs> yeah, I think I, uh, yeah, I think I, uh, Eddie hit me with a limousine and took me into you and that's slammed right. on a brake and I went down and took you out. <laughs> that's right. That's true. And yeah. you drove me once as Dark Man. Remember that? Oh, oh yeah. And you know, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, the guy, you know, because the the thing that we were driving was made for railroad tracks and not subway tracks because they're smaller. Oh, I never thought about it that. And, well, I didn't know that either till uh, one of the guys who was the worker, you know, came up and he's, because we were going around corners fast, you yeah. know. And he came up to me and he said, look, you know, you got to be careful about going around corners like that because it's, this vehicle is not made for these tracks. And I relayed that to uh, the powers to be and uh, basically said, yeah. Okay. Just keep going fast. Well, <laughs> and I'm standing on top. And you're standing. <laughs> oh, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were down there for, you know, until four or five o'clock in the morning, way down in the subways that they were, and I was in this cage in this pickup truck, and you're on top, and I'm getting all the fumes and everything, and it's hot down there. It's summertime. I do know this. And there was a scene where. <clears throat> The actors are walking, and I, I guess they're after us, or so I don't know what. And they're walking, um, like, through an area that's going to come to the tracks. And when they get to this one beam of light, that's when I go. So I'm, you know, it's like three, four o'clock in the morning. I'm hot, and I'm getting all these fumes, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to stay awake. And I didn't hear them say rehearsal. <laughs> so <laughs> I see these actors hit this beam of light and I step on it. <laughs> and these people are jumping. <laughs> God, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> We've all yeah, screwed yeah. up a little bit uh, once yeah, in a while. We have. <laughs> we have. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so okay, so catching dogs brought you here. Um, yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Damn it, I lose track of thought. There's too many things going on through here. Well, now you're in Toronto. Uh, so uh, what what ha what happened after that? Did you stay in Toronto? Yeah. Oh yeah, I stayed uh, um, up until I think um, a little after uh, a little after SARS hit. Well, actually, I got a in around 2010. Um, a company called me in um, Panama City Beach, Florida, and they had a uh, they they had a, a marine animal park, and they had a bird show in there, and <clears throat> the bird show was needed some work, and they really didn't have any trainers, so they asked me to come down there and, and see what I could do with the birds. So yeah. here I have questions. Um, I'm sure that anyone watching this or listening, they also have questions. <clears throat> How the hell do you 
train from a dog up. to bird. No, no, no. Well, the guy's gifted. It's obvious. But yeah, how but... <laughs> how do you train a behavior in a bird? Uh, do you know how to train the behavior in a dog other than sit and, and lie down? Well, that's like a to me, Just like, a second. <laughs> You, you all I'm saying the dog loves you he licks you and what he looks in your eyes and you talk to him I suppose that's true try doing that to a bird <laughs> well what? it depends on what kind of bird you're Take talking a freaking bird you if sit. you're talking citizen birds parrots and things they're highly intelligent who citizens like uh parrots they're and citizens not citizens citizen I, I've never heard the term oh yeah well, it's, it's, I didn't make it up. I mean, it's... <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> Sound like you're making shit up. Right? Might be in here somewhere. Um, um, <clears throat> and so they're, they're, they're highly intelligent. Yeah. Um, and I, while we're on the, the topic of birds, when I was doing the Beretta series, you guys would love this. Uh, I was... Um, <clears throat> I went into work and the, uh, the director wanted me to go into the set where they have a bar and uh, pool tables, and asked me to teach the bird to uh, roll a ball into the pockets. So, you know, <clears throat> the, the cockatoo is highly intelligent. It took me about five minutes. But Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took me no time at all. But Crazy. <clears throat> I was the first AD, or one of the ADs introduced me to the person who was playing the bartender. And he was uh, about 80 years old, a little older than that. And he said, hi, um, um, this is Brian Renfro. Um, I'd like you to meet Harvey Perry. Oh, wow. I, I'm not sure I know who Harvey Perry is. A legend, stuntman. He was oh. the one who doubled Harold Lloyd when Harold Lloyd did not have a double. Okay. When the hanging off the clock and all that? Yeah. yeah. That was Harvey Perry. Really? And okay. Harvey Perry was <clears throat> rolling cars over into his 90s, I think. And he was not allowed to wow. divulge anything about Harold Lloyd until Harold Lloyd passed away. Now, and this is, and and I felt so bad because um, I was an animal trainer, not really, not a stuntman yet. And I didn't know the value of, of meeting Harvey I Perry. Had met. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. And okay. I felt so bad about that, you know. Wow. Man, that's cool. But, you, oh, can't, you can't yeah. even teach a stuntman to roll a ball into the corner in <laughs> Yeah. So, no. So, what is the process, though? Like, what is the process? You put the ball down, put the bird down, say, roll that in that hole. Well, no. Uh, well, first of all, <clears throat> in, in training, um, once an animal, say like a, a dog or a bird, once they learn, they learn how to learn, and then they understand more on what you are showing them. So, for instance, he already, uh, the cockatoo had already known like a million behaviors and had already learned how to learn. So all I had to do hmm. was um, put the ball down there, put the cockatoo down there, and ju just let him touch it, pay him. Soon as soon as he gets paid for touching that ball, he's pushing it. No shit. Yeah. And so, and so I pay him for that. And then what you do is say... Um, the hole is here. Well, you, you start with the ball right there. Boom. He, he just nudges it, goes right in the good guy, right? Click, 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 pay, 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 you know, and move the, the ball back a little bit. And if he does miss it, <clears throat> which is great, you want your dog to mess up or your, your bird to mess up. <clears throat> so you that, can correct it. <clears throat> excuse me. But that, yes, exactly. Because if they... If they're constantly doing the right thing, 
they don't really know. But when they mess up and then do it right, aha. Okay, uh, that's what. There's so, a correlation. Yeah, and it, okay. you know, like I say, it took no time at all. Once uh, I moved it back a little bit, I got to do a scene, and we never shot this, but I got to train this. At, at the <clears> end <throat> of the Beretta shows, there was always a uh, pretty girl coming over. It was always kind of the tag thing, right? So <clears throat> we had planned this. Uh, the cockatoo, uh, Beretta calls the cockatoo. So he picks up the phone and says, hello. And then you get the other side of the conversation. And he's saying, hey, I have a girl coming over. Get things ready. So in succession, I taught him. Uh, well, he had already knew how to answer the phone. So I had him answer the phone. And from there... He takes, you know, the very long stick matches? Yeah. <clears throat> I had a, <clears throat> a thing that he could light it on. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so he learned to take the match, strike it, wow. hold it, light the candle, put it down in the, the ashtray, and then from there, after lighting the candle, he goes over, pulls a cork out of, out of a bottle, and then... From there, he goes into the, uh, we had a, a, a small ice chest, kind of like portable ice chest. He pushes it up, gets in there, and then the last thing is he just pops his head up and peeks out, right? What? This and, is all in one shot? Oh, yeah. And they, they, they didn't let us shoot it. Aw. I know. <laughs> now, if, if, if the match doesn't light, does the bird understand that it didn't light and then tries to light it again? They, yeah. Yeah, because that, that happens in training. You know, it's, okay, it didn't light. You didn't get paid. You didn't get... Mm -hmm. ah. And they're so smart. I mean, you know, and this cockatoo was was uh, uh, so much smarter than than a lot of the birds. I mean, you know, he was just, uh, just amazing. I, that was one of my favorite shows years ago, uh, Beretta. And I, I can't wait to get on the internet and revisit this. I want to see some stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I, I mean, there, there must be, um, like, for me, I'm thinking like a dog trainer, okay, and then a bird trainer, okay. But somehow you're doing all of it. Is, did, is, there, is it because all animals have a same something? Or is it two completely different practices? Well, training is training. Um, <clears throat> okay. Guide the animal into a behavior, reward them for it. Right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So I was fortunate in working at Universal Studios because we had a variety of animals. So I got to, as a matter of fact, the very first, and I got pictures in here, uh, the very first animal I ever trained, <clears throat> I was just still cleaning cages, uh, you know, and I said, gee, I, I, I was watching other trainers and I said, I'd like to train something. And my uncle said, well, um, you can work with 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 uh, that bird that's a, a green wing macaw. Oh, okay. What's his name? Tuffy. Why do they call him Tuffy? Because he eats everybody. You know, nobody will work with him. He just bites everybody. This is tough. <laughs> <clears throat> I trained that bird to do everything birds do. I mean, he would ride a bicycle, uh, skates, scooter. You know, pick up a diamond, put it in to a coffee can and then look in it to make sure it's there. Just train him to play for Manchester United. How, how big a bird is that? <laughs> Make a lot of money. How big a bird is this? Well, like, I mean, with a tail, uh, with a tail, they're like this. Oh, wow. You know, it's a, it's a big uh, parrot. It's one of, 
Um, the only other bigger parrot <clears throat> is still a macaw, but that's a hyacinth macaw. That's the 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 all solid blue ones. Um, they're half again the size or or more than a macaw wow. parrot. But a macaw parrot's pretty mm. big. And and in the day when when we used to get birds, they they weren't hand raising birds in these days. It was birds were caught in the wild as adults, right. grabbed and put into a shipping container, shipped to America, and put into quarantine. And whatever birds made it out of quarantine were sold. And we used to call those bronch, bronch macaws. And they are wild. And when they bite you... They mean it. Oh, man. I mean, they can snap a broom handle if they want to. But the good thing about what I found out about once they started uh, hand-raising birds, you know, and they're very nice and very sweet and everything, but the wild ones had been through so much that they weren't afraid of anything. Why would they of, be? That's Yeah, why would they be? A lot of the hand-raised birds have done it and done nothing but, you know, force feed or give him food and, you know, um, just play around and be loved and everything. And a lot of, I, I discovered a lot of them in, in training some of those. They're afraid of a lot of things. They're like A-listers. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I get it. <clears throat> wow, that's really interesting. No, that's fascinating. Now, is it the same as, I mean, could could you train a, a gorilla or a bear? or? A... Well, yeah, a lot of people do. I, I worked with... Um, uh, I worked with chimps, never trained one, but I, I had an orangutan that uh, um, um, that I trained. That was I had never done that before. That was really interesting. And uh, a little story: I, I have a, a really nice picture of uh, Michael Lennon and I with the orang with my orangutan. I had gone to, a lot of times. You take animals to a film set that aren't working, but they're in training when you're working something else. <clears throat> that way. They they get to see the lights, nah. cameras, dollies, uh, you know, and all the confusion that that a film set has. So uh, I I we were working in Simi Valley and and where, um, you know, they had the town of Walnut Grove built, and I had uh, I was parked quite a ways away and I I had uh, Strawberry, uh, which was the orangutan's name, and I was working her, you know, and letting her see all the stuff and everything and. Michael came up to me and said, hey, can I, can I see your orang, you know? And I was like, yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I started working uh, the orang and everything. And he, he says, uh, this is what a, just a, a great, great person. He says, I've got one more script to write for, for this season. I want to put the orang in it. I said, oh, okay, cool. And uh, he called me up at Universal about two weeks later <clears throat> and uh, said, can you come down and get the script? And I went down. It was a. Uh, uh, it was for the love of Blanche was the name of it, and the orangutan is pretty much the whole show. And I was like, whoa! So I took like two weeks of of doing nothing but training. You know. How does a orangutan fit into Little House in the Prairie? There's. Um, <clears throat> it was a very interesting story. Um, <clears throat> the Victor French, uh, mm -hmm. his character, uh, was traveling back to Walnut Grove, and he meets up with an old guy in, in a, a covered wagon and they they build a fire together and they you know they're they're out somewhere and then uh, they have some food and everything and and the old guy is talking about Blanche well Victor French that he, he thinks this is <clears throat> a wife. little girl right oh, yeah. 
So uh, in the morning, the uh, the old man has died. Oh. And he's like, oh, what am I going to do with this little girl? And stuff? Oh, man. And so he goes in there uh, in the covered wagon to see this little girl, and it, she's covered up. And what it is is, is uh, when he's like, hello, hello, are you in it? And the orangutan goes, and then puts, and then of course he's like shocked. So he takes the orangutan back to Walnut Grove, which uh, causes a, a, I bet, a shit storm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he destroys his house, and, and I had the greatest time doing this. Uh, uh, Michael said he, the scene is he's left all, he's left alone, and he's going to destroy the, the house. And I said, okay, so I know what I'm going to do. I said, I had him uh, make a, uh, or bring in um, like a, a big, um, not a book, kind of like a bookcase, but it's got all the, you know, um, on the shelves are foods and, and flour and things like that. So what I did is I, I, in prepping, I took a little can and pulled the top off and put a, a uh, banana, uh, bite a banana and put it and let her grab it. And she pulled it off right away and got the banana. And then I put it on another shelf and she found that and did that. So when we went to do the scene, I, I put her up so she couldn't see what I was doing. And I hid something f much further up, but I had all kinds of other things with flour and things and stuff. And I knew, you know, and, and also a bottle that would look like whiskey. And it was, uh, I think it was juice or tea or something. And so I knew it, this was good. And, and sure enough, she, I let her go, you know, when they're rolling. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I didn't say anything, just let her go. And she goes over. The first thing she finds is this bottle. And she goes, takes the cork and then pours it in something, drops it. And she's climbing up and she's pulling over things with flour in it and it's all over and it's just and so when they after this scene when they they then they cut to um victor french coming home and and the, the orangutan mess. is sitting there on the table with stuff all over and the place is a mess you know and then, and then there's a fight scene between victor and the orangutan <laughs> no but i'll tell you what um <clears throat> and you guys know you've been in the film business for a long time um you don't see it, Michael Lander was executive producer, writer, director, and actor. And I mean, you know, that's a that's a lot to do. He came to me, um, and you don't get this. He comes to me as as a trainer and says, "Hey, Brian, um, the show's running late or running short. So can you?" do something in in Victor's uh, bedroom, something kind of cool or fun or whatever. So I went into that set, and there's a um, uh, the bed that Victor sleeps in and another bed over here that the orangutan is going to be in. And in the middle was like a sawhorse with a saddle on it. So I started thinking, so I, I put um, the, the orangutan on the saddle, and... I had her pick up the reins, and right away, you know, you show her something, and she's going to start messing with things. And if it's good, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, great. So what happens is in the scene, and I and I, I put all this together, and I showed Michael. And it was uh, the orangutan is gets out of bed in the middle of the night, and gets up in the saddle, and he, 
you know, doing all this. And Victor French is like, Blanche, be quiet and go to bed. You know, and he keeps doing it. And so, no, go to bed. And he gets, the orangutan gets down, <laughs> gets under the covers, pulls the cover over, and then he does the raspberry. And then Victor French does the raspberry. <clears throat> and then he does it back to him. And I showed that to Michael. And he loved it. And he put it in the show. Sweet. And what's the title of this episode? You... Uh, for the Love of Blanche. For the Love of Blanche. Just in case anybody wants Blanche. to look it up. Yeah, for the, yeah, what did I say? Yeah, and Blanche. I don't know. Blanche, yeah. And honestly, how many people like of that stature yeah, totally. would allow an animal trainer to come up with a scene like it and shoot it? And <clears throat> they trusted it? you. Yeah, that's they saw the work that say. you were doing and they were yeah. like, yeah. you've worked for them for a Clearly, long time. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. That just, that's fabulous. I've never met anyone um, in the film business who was. Uh, I respected more than Michael landed. He was just, and you got to remember when he was doing the show at this time, Westerns were taboo. They mm -hmm. weren't shooting him anymore. He had a Western that was in the top 10. Yeah. I mean, he was brilliant. Yeah. He had a second Western in the top. Well, 10. that show is still <laughs> bonanza. That, the show's still <clears throat> massive. I mean, Oh yeah. It is. Know? Yeah, sure. People, it'll play forever. It's, yeah, nowadays yeah. people, I've, I've, when people know what I've done and, and know that I, I've had mothers come up to me and say, you know, we bought the whole DVD collection of little house. Cause that's what I want to raise my kids on. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to watch what's going on on, the, on TV, you know? So they're still doing that. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, and you know, I'll tell you what was so cool <coughs> about Michael and series little house one episode could be kids playing with a fire burn down a house and kill somebody the next episode is a comedy not yeah. not like everything you see now you know yeah yeah that's what's going to happen that's true. yeah it was totally different hmm. interesting that was the beauty of uh the 80s and the 90s actually they were all about laughs and cries you yeah. know, mix it up. Yeah, they mixed yeah. it up and they did it really nicely. They did it like taste, tastefully. Yeah, not, not, you know, I mean, there's so, there's so much CGI now. I mean, you, you go to watch an action movie and it's, it's, it's half of it's a cartoon. Yeah, it's a cartoon. Uh, yeah, and exactly. I, it's, in the old days when, you know, we do a car hit, we get hit by a car. And nowadays, you know, um, there's wires and, uh, yeah, so pulling. any actor can be pulled here and there and then they marry it to a, some car stuff and you know wow he you know but true enough know. yeah yeah <sighs> what's the matter <laughs> oh no, the cartoon thing <laughs> no it's funny because uh like uh <clears throat> you know every a few podcasts now we've mentioned like marvel yeah and you know I we don't, weren't going to mention this one but you brought it up Go well <laughs> but it's but it is another one of those things it's all green screen and and it's not actually real yeah it's not like well, very you, little of it is no and they we know that mm -hmm. the younger people don't know you that know, they, that's they, true they they're being raised it. you that's know they, oh well this is real i saw this you know yeah uh no it's not real yeah you, you know but they also watch reality tv now and think that that's real <clears throat> and even that shit's not it's all real. scripted folks <laughs> silly stuff yeah. Yeah. yeah you know cops and and live pd are about the really only real um yeah shows like that where things really do happen right yeah, and even yeah. th and even that will be edited for oh it is now content and 
It is now. Creativity. And I was watching, I'm a big fan of, I I started watching Cops when it first started, you know, 20, 30 years or whatever it was. And Live PD, I watch that now. (laughs) He's just seeing if he's on it. What? Yeah. You just wanted to see if you were on the show. Yeah. No, that's my episode. <laughs> no, but I, I wanted to see if my brother was. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm watching this thing, and it, it's uh, they come to something, and someone shot, uh, and he's he's dead, and it, this is live, right? Yeah, yeah. They cut away from it right away and say, "Oh, um, this is very sensitive." We do. Hello, people need to know things happen. Yeah, man. Which you is funny can't because hide from things. You got to know. Yeah, they'll show it on CNN. <coughs> or they'll show well, they it won't. On... No, they it's... they won't. They'll say it's too sensitive. Yeah, it's, oh, it's really? too oh, sensitive. Yeah. Oh, um, you know, people, you you know, you can't. Hide. I mean, look at us. You know, especially you and I. We we grew up eating mud and 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 doing things and never washing our hands and falling off of things and stuff. You know, we survived. Okay, so speaking That's of you disgusting. and me, speaking of <laughs> yeah, uh oh. <laughs> Um, in the sixties, I grew up, uh, we're a few years apart, not many, but a few, <clears throat> I grew up watching the Vietnam war in my living room. Yeah. First so, televised. Absolutely. War. Absolutely. When you watched a newsreel, it was live and in color. And I think I had a black and white. TV. Now, now before <clears throat> you, before you go on, I just want to mention that I am way younger than you guys. Yeah. You don't remember the sixties? No. 70s? Uh, no. Right. Sorry, I just wanted to let, just let you guys know. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. But, but so, so uh, but when I would go home at lunch from school in the 1960s, they would be showing newsreels of Vietnam and soldiers being shot and bullets and, and bombs going off on television. And now they would, they don't show you that much anymore. Like they, it's too sensitive. That's yeah. what we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, Brian, I, I, um, I, if we can leave the film industry for a moment, and you mentioned earlier that you tried several times over a period of six months to become a soldier to join the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk about that? You joined the Army, and then what did you do? You well, um, first of all, I, I, me and a friend of mine, uh, another member of our organization we just he went down and uh, i and uh, enlisted in the army airborne they took him and said no to me so uh, i volunteered at that point for the draft and in the meantime uh, my best buddy uh, jim that i talk a lot about we did a lot of ad- adventures and stuff he was uh, working for a company and he got me in there on his crew and we were doing, we had blown away everybody, the two of us, making more product and, and than anybody had. It was really, really good. And then um, I, got a, I got my draft notice about six months after I'd been working there. So, you know, by this time, you know everybody in, in the, uh, uh, the company mm-hmm. and everybody's really friendly and they gave me a big going away party. And I, uh, you know, you got on a city bus to go down to the induction center and, and I had nine joints with me in my pocket. And I got on the bus and went down there and fought my way through the, you know, the people burning the draft cards and, and all that and went into the induction center. And I 
before I went in there, I took the nine joints out of my pocket and threw them in a trash can right there on one of the main streets in downtown L.A. I'm done with this. I'm going in the Army. And I got I got it, and I passed all the, you know, you know, the, the hearing and eye thing is like, hey, buddy, and if you turn around and look at him, okay, you passed the hearing <laughs> and eye. So, and at the very end, a um, guy came up to me and said, uh, yeah, we're not going to take you. I had just quit my job, had a going away party. Crushed nine Tossed joints. nine fucking joints away. <laughs> oh, I found every single one of them. I, I got on a city bus and I lit one up on the bus and I said, you know what? Fuck you people. Wow. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing. You don't want me? Fuck you. And then um, hmm. a few months later, they sent me another draft card and they took me this time. Mm, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't want to go now. <laughs> I, I, I smoked nine joints. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and uh, you know, uh, I went into basic and then AIT. And, uh, What's AIT? Uh, advanced infantry training. Okay. And then they shipped my ass over to uh, um, the jungle. And what year would that be? Uh, I went there in November 68 and left uh, November 69. So you're there for a year. 365 miserable days. <laughs> is, now, is that normal? Is that that's the run that the? Yeah, a lot of people more often than not. I mean, you get a, um, a an R&R, rest and relaxation, and they send you to Australia or wherever you want to go uh, for that week, and then they would give leaves and stuff. Um, I never got that because when I was uh, Nick, when Nixon pulled out the ninth division, I was in the ninth division, um, so all orders came down canceled. Uh, I didn't. I didn't get to go on any R and Rs and leave, and they wanted to uh, take me. They were taking all the Ninth Division back to Hawaii, so your wife could come over and we were playing Army and all that. And uh, I did not want to do that. Um, I'm all for you know keeping my rifle clean, but I don't want to spit shine my shoes and salute. So I volunteered to stay in Vietnam. So I stayed there for the whole 365 days. Hmm. Wow. Were you working all the way around the clock? Um, working? No. Uh, well, we were on uh, troop ships. So what uh, we would do is is the, the, these crummy old World War II troop ships uh, is where we stayed. And we would go, they would either helicopter us out or send us by tango boat, the, the smaller boats with the big ramp. Uh, we would spend three days in the jungle and then come back for 24 hours and then back three days in the jungle and then 24 hours off. It, that's, that's the way it went. And um, <clears throat> it was, I, there's my legs, and I, I have a story in here where I talk about how bad my legs were, the uh, um, jungle rot and um, immersion foot. Uh, it got so bad that what happens is when you're when the little um, red and green bees start flying in at you, you know, because they, they used a lot of uh, um, incinerator rounds, so it, which really scares you. And, it's like tracer rounds. Yeah, and we, and we called I called them bees, you know. <laughs> right. And when they start coming in at you, you get you'll and it's a jungle, you can't tell where they're coming from. You can't see a shooter. It's not like you can yeah. shoot back. There's They're just coming through leaves and yeah, and and so you get in, you jump into anything, anything and everything to 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 get out of the way of these little bees. You don't want to get hit in the face with them, right? 
And a lot of times uh, in the jungle, um, little hooches and things, they would have a big hole and that's where they threw the trash in and defecated and all that stuff. Well, when the bullets are flying, uh, you get in their face first. Uh, you know, the, you're not worried about the smell. You're not worried about anything. What happens is uh, at that point, I, I started getting ringworm. And then the ringworm turned to staph infection. And at the same time, because the, uh, the army in, the, uh, um, in their great thinking had us in big wool socks instead of like nylon socks. So for three days, your feet are completely soaked because you're going in and out of water and canals and all that stuff. And the combination of the ringworm turning into staph infections, which were, and I still got a lot of scars on my leg, the, uh, they, they turn these big holes and it's just open pussy things that come out. And with the immersion foot, what it does is it takes off the top layer of your foot, but they're wet, so you don't know. It's it's you know, and you don't you're not taking your shoes off at night, um, and wow. what, what what would happen is is uh, when you get back off a mission, they you know you, you could take a shower, and I would uh, get into the shower, take the shower, and on the way back to my bunk, because your feet are now dry, my my feet where the the, the skin had gone were were purple. And every time you'd take a step, it would crack and bleed. And the Damn. holes <laughs> in my leg, uh, pus would be running out. And this is happening as you're, you know, and you you know, you're, you're 24 hours off and you're going back in the jungle. And so you'd, you'd get to your bunk and, and, you know, write a letter, do whatever you do. And we, um, I lived on uh, basically Darvons. Uh, the medic would bring a, a big jar of Darvons and, that was the only way you could get around. It and nothing paint. heals because you have to put socks back on and go back into that water. And yeah, and get jump. back in. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Was yeah. it like this the whole the whole year that you were sort of doing this? Um, no, not for the whole, most of it. Um, and then when I think I had probably two or three months left uh, when Nixon pulled out the 9th Division and I volunteered to stay. And we were in a place called Dongtown, which was the furthest base south of Saigon. And it was huge. I mean, just huge. It was the whole 9th Division was there and all kinds of other things. And they had a, a, a big PX. So the one of the companies was staying there. I think they were uh, an engineer company. And they were staying there. So because I didn't want to go back to the States, they said, okay, well, since you're a sergeant, um, we're going we're gonna to make this PX a lot smaller just for this one company, and, and you'll be the manager of it. Okay, I didn't know anything. And, wow. and this, we got mortared and rocketed every single night. They would send mortars and stuff in on us every night. So it's, you know, and after a while, I, honestly, I, I just uh, I started drinking too much. You know, I'd take a bottle of scotch out of the, you know, and, I wouldn't even get in the bunker, you know. I was just fuck it, whatever, you know. No oh, shit, eh? Oh yeah, yeah. You, and that, that was one of the bad things about uh, about being in the jungle because you didn't get hit all the time. So you, sometimes you get complacent, and then, pow, boom, whatever, and followed by medic. Somebody screaming medic. So, I can imagine. 
I can imagine. Wow. And then, and what happens is when you get back, because you, you're in war, and in Vietnam, you're in war, and then you're not in war. And then you're in war, and you're not in war. And a lot of people, when they got back, their mind went, okay, I'm in war. But they're not. They're at home. So they're, but they think they're, you know, um, doing something maybe they shouldn't be doing or something. It, they put, they're like in the war, and then they come back. So a lot of people had that kind of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, uh, you know, we used to talk about when you get home and how cool it's going to be and oh, wow, and everything. And I got home, and it was not cool. It was awful. It was, uh, it was the life I was going on. My mother had been run over by a car. My stepdad had been killed. And the... <clears throat> you know, marriage wasn't going well. So it was, it was when I got back home, it, it just wasn't a whole lot better. <laughs> wow. Than what it was. Wow. And I, I got a, I, I it, there's a little story in here where I'm talking about, uh, um, getting shot at or something. And I remember, you know, you ever had like, um, a nightmare where you're, uh, and it really scares the shit out of you. And then you wake up at night and you go, Oh, Okay everything's good mm -hmm. you know and and it takes a while to come down from that that nightmare and i i'll never forget having a nightmare over there and it was like a big giant um devil kind of huge dog it was chasing me around a tree and i'll never forget it and it was going faster and faster and faster and i was screaming in my head i, I don't make noise what you know but i was like screaming and i woke up and i went oh it's just a nightmare and then i realized i was on a three-man patrol and reality was scarier than the nightmare. Wow. Wow. Holy fuck. <clears throat> yeah. What am I hearing? You hear that? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys talk amongst Weird. yourselves. Okay. <laughs> What's with all this stuff we're hearing? I have no idea. Somebody's on a long flush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, that is it's uh, incredibly wild. Um, how often were bullets coming at you? You know, you could you could be out for uh, three days and nothing would happen. And you know, uh, the the next day or the next you know after twenty four hours, the next three day, um, boom, right away, you're getting shot at. And there there was a time when, and a lot of times. Uh, the the Viet Cong would would kind of know where you're where you are. Sure. So they would shoot in. They would just you know because I think they were using like every three bullets were a tracer, and it it's psychologically when you see that coming at you you know it scares you. So they wanted you to shoot back. That way they knew exactly where you were. Yeah, they're trying to get some that movement or something. Yeah, for mortars. Because they, they, you know, big time mortars, all right? So a lot of times you wouldn't shoot back. And uh, I was smoking in, in the day uh, uh, when I was there in Vietnam, you know. I mean, who, you weren't really worried about getting cancer. <laughs> you were more worried about getting lead. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? no, and I'll never forget, uh, I, was, um, I was lying on my back and the, the AKs were lit up and they were shooting at us and... I remember lying on my back watching the, 
the, the leaves of the trees were right about this far from my face and they're getting hit and, and coming down. And I will never forget, I lit up a lucky strike and it was the greatest tasting cigarette I ever had in my entire life. I was terrified. I was scared. I couldn't get up. If I got up, I'm dead. You can't move. Um, is he, the Viet Cong coming in on us? Are they just testing us? Are, are they, you know, am I going to mortar? Am I going to hear a grenade hit the ground? And, you know, so you just lie there. And I, I was smoking that Lucky Strike, and I'll, I will never forget how good that tasted. <laughs> now, is that because it felt no. like the last cigarette of your life? No, I, I didn't think I was going to die, um, but I was terrified that, you know, I was going to get hit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, the, the only time I ever really thought I was going to die was um, doing a stunt, um, you know, in a sinking a bus. Oh, wow. wow. But not in Vietnam. I. You know, I, I tried, you try to keep that away from your head. One time we were going to, uh, the, the mission was, okay, there's a 500-pound bomb that we have to find. It's in the jungle because they have spotted it from an aircraft. And the Viet Cong were very, very, very good fighters. They had been fighting forever. They knew how to make booby traps. Hmm. And, you know, I was in point squad. And all I could think of was... A booby trap, 500 pound bomb. I'll never hear it. Wow. <laughs> and what it was, it was a, a black sand pan that had been turned upside down and it looked like a bomb. You know, they're, they're, they're little boats, uh, they call them sand pans. The really small one was painted black. And that, when they spotted it from the air, they, and I was so happy <laughs> to know that that wasn't a bomb. <laughs> wow. I can only imagine. Uh, tell Andrew the story about being on the pay duty. Like, when you, it was your duty to pay the guys? You had to go get the money? Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. I um, When I was manager of the PX, I, I uh, a couple of Fino, Filipino officers came in, and they, they wanted cigarettes. Um, so I didn't give them cigarettes. So I never stole anything from the, the PX, as far as, as far as that goes. Uh, but what I did was I sold them cases of cigarettes um, at cost, at what, what we cost, you know. And since there was nobody there, I mean, um, they had more than enough cigarettes to supply the, the, little, the uh, little amount of people that were still in Dongtown. And they said if I ever needed a ride somewhere, they had a helicopter, you know. So at one point, um, my, uh, my lieutenant... Um, the uh, the guy with the little gold thing on his mm. his uh, shoulder next to the big giant chip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a prick! He didn't like me because I was a decorated combat soldier, <clears throat> and he was just out of ROTC or some fucking thing. I don't know. He, was, he just didn't like me. You know, he was straight laced and never you know never had to smile and you know. So I have to take twenty nine thousand dollars of military money take it to Saigon and change it into piastres, which was the local currency, bring that back, and that is to pay the, the, the local uh, people that worked in the PX. So I got a hold of my uh, friends with the helicopter, and um, I had a, little, a 45 under, under my blouse, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't supposed to take it to Saigon, but I wasn't about to be unarmed, you know. Yeah. And... Um, 
I had this, I had a paper sack of the money. Now, so I, n I never told anybody, uh, the pilots or anything like that. So we get into this, they, they come to pick me up at, at um, some place there in Dogtown, and uh, I get into this helicopter, and it's plush. Not like what I used to ride in with no doors and, you know, a bench seat. I mean, this thing was plush, right? I go, wow, this is really cool. So mm, we take off, and we're heading to Saigon. Now, Saigon is like 65 miles from Dongtown. And it's a pretty big little town, you know. Yeah. So a, a little while after we're in the air, they're looking at each other and like, like they don't know where they're going, right? They they don't know. So um, there's there was a little outpost, um, a U.S. outpost that was all tents. So they decided to land there and get directions from this outpost. Do you know what a helicopter does to tents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so we're 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 coming down, and I'm I'm watching all this, and guys are running out of tents and trying to hold them down and stuff, and you know I'm just kind of sliding back down on the seat. I don't want to, like you not know. Here. <laughs> yeah, really. And the captain, the you know the commanding officer is the captain. Well, he comes running out and button up his fatigues and shit, you know, and he's like thinking that. Uh, you know, um, the president or somebody is, is has landed there, you know. <laughs> and then he comes up to realizes there's two Filipino officers and they're trying to get directions to Saigon. Oh, he was upset. <laughs> really pissed. And I'm like, I'm really hiding in the backseat of this thing. So, okay, we take off and um, they're going to come and get me tomorrow. So I go to the, 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 the military bank tell them what I need. They take the sack of money and they tell me to come back tomorrow. Now, I don't know where I slept or where I hung out at that night. So I come back in the morning, raining like hell. And so I get my bag of cash, piesters, get in the helicopter, we take off. And it's, the you know, the ceiling is probably 500 feet and it's just pouring rain. And we're flying through the jungle. Now, the Viet Cong loves nothing more than to shoot down a helicopter. I mean, that makes their day, you know. And we're flying around, um, and they don't know where, where Dongtam is, and there's no place to land. Now, I know we're close, and I just felt it. And I said, put me down. Put me, and they put me down on a rice paddy. And I, I felt I would be safer on the ground by myself than flying around with these two idiots. With your pistol. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in. Now, when this helicopter takes off and the pitter-patter of rain in a rice paddy, and since there's in a rice paddy, there ain't no fucking place to hide. <laughs> you know, there's no place to go. I'm sitting there, or squatting there, and it all of a sudden, the helicopter's gone. It's so quiet. <laughs> and you're like... I have never felt that alone in my entire life. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Now, between uh, that piece of jungle and Dongtam, there was a road called Ambush Alley, and it was f for a good reason, you know, because they... So I, I'm sitting there and wondering what I'm going to do, and then I hear a motorized vehicle. Uh, I grab my little 45, you know, and which was really funny because I couldn't hit a fucking thing with that 45 in training. 
So, <laughs> but it made me feel better, you know. And I'm I'm yeah. aiming this gun at where I hear the sound, and I'm watching the road, and it's a, a U.S. Jeep, well, a little World War II U.S. Jeep. All right. So I'm running, and I'm waving to him, and I'm waving a gun, and I forget <laughs> that I'm waving, and I'm like, "Fuck! They could have shot me," you know. And uh, they stopped and went, what the fuck are you doing out here? Well, I don't want to tell them I had a sack full of cash. And, you know, and I, I, it was too bad I couldn't come up with anything witty. Like, well, I was walking my leash in the, you know. Um, <laughs> so I get in the uh, Jeep and we make it back to uh, um, the PX and, and uh, the, the lieutenant uh, takes the bag. And I'm dripping wet and he takes the bag and walks off. Never said thank you. No, I didn't want a medal for it or anything, but a, a nice thank you would have been cool. <laughs> That's you know? unreal, though, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, what a prick. But anyway. <laughs> do you, what, when you, do you, what you were doing at the time, um, do you ever look back and go, okay, yeah, that's that is what we were doing? Or was it different? Do you, uh, did you find out that what you, <sighs> did you, I don't know. I don't, you know, hindsight is, um, you always, it's like a lot of the chapters I write, like one of them was uh, Snake and a Convict, or I really got to start thinking things through. And what the chapter on that, uh, the uh, 45 and the bag of money was, was called um, 45 and a sack of cash, I think, or I really have to think things through. And, and um, you don't, I didn't realize a lot of these things until I started writing the book. And I would be in a, a coffee shop and I'm, I've got my computer and I'm writing and I'm writing a Vietnam story and I'm fucking crying. And I'm, I'm like, is anybody looking at me? <laughs> you know? And, you know, I'd, I'd go on with the, the thing, but you didn't real, I didn't realize um, some of the, uh, the, the really dumb shit I had done and and sneaked away with it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. got you know everything was like the, uh, when I was in uh, in in jail there was this really big guy um, that I was working out with him and another guy and um, that in back in the 60s it was uh, a bit racial tension mm-hmm. you know back then and I wanted to work out. I was like 138 pounds, and I wanted to get bigger, you know. So the only two guys working out were two black guys. So, you know, I got no problem with that. Can I work out with you, you know, and stuff? Yeah. Uh, so they let me, and they te- taught me how to, you know, uh, bench press and do all that stuff. And then one night, um, all the white guys surrounded my bunk and said, no, you can't be. <coughs> They're black, you know. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, this is the 60s, you know. And I was like, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. But, um, you know, I mean, I like I, I don't want somebody coming up and cutting my throat because I'm working out with you. I said, well, you know, why don't you guys start working out? So they all started working out and I worked out with them. So this one big guy that I used to work out with was, you know, um, he wasn't the sharpest pencil in the drawer. And we're on a road gang. Um you know, working on the road, doing something, I don't know. And I found, you know, and I've always been into animals, and I, I, I see a king snake, so I grab him, you know. And I, I went up to this gentleman, 
And I said, hey, I got something for you. And I held up uh, a snake. Well, he fucking took off, running down the road. And of course, the guards are like, you know. <laughs> I'm laughing my ass off. At the same time, I think, oh, they're fucking shooting, you know. And all the time he's running, like, run for all, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to fucking kill <laughs> you. He didn't, but you it's know. a great story though. Can you see that? Yeah. I get out there on the road crew, and he's running away, and the coppers have no idea <laughs> why he's running, and you got a snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it's like you know, you just can't do things like that, man. You got to, you know, it's like holding your hand over a fire and go, "Ow, that hurt." Gee, that was stupid. What, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. was so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that's hilarious. So. So anyway, that was, uh, um, you know, I, I did my, my little bit of time and, and got out of jail. And uh, uh, for me, going to jail was a really good thing that happened to me. One of the best things that ever happened to me in my life. Because I got me out of the, the, uh, the gang and I realized that I don't like being locked up. Mm -hmm. And I ain't going to get locked up again. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to do something to get locked up again. Right. You know, and so that that really that really helped me a lot. And I guess a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people would say, "Well, you got arrested and you didn't do anything," and all you know. And uh, well, hey, it for the for the uh, the large part really really helped me. And I, I when I went to uh, see, I, I was on probation when uh, the people the the two cops arrested me, and. What they what the, this is really funny. Uh, my my brother who was on leave from the army, and a buddy of mine and I and I had a really nice chopper. It was built by one of the Galapagoses. It was an original Harley Davidson uh, knucklehead motor. You know, uh, four on the su side suicide shift. Wow, and cool. Oh, it was it was my love. I mean, my love. So we were down at uh, go karts. Is that the picture? Yeah, there's yeah. a picture in there yeah. of it. Yeah, you send me that picture. I'll put it up. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and so we had gone to the go kart track, and this is on a Sunday morning, and uh, we're completely sober. I mean, I in, back in the '60s, you know, instead of having a cup of coffee, you'd smoke a joint. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, get up in the morning, smoke a joint. I mean, that's the way it was. I know some people that do that now. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. What? No, I don't do that anymore. What are you talking? <laughs> where I come from it's illegal so of course I don't do that um, but so we're completely sober but we're fucking around on the race on the, the go-karts going the wrong way and banging into each other so they throw us out okay and so we come back to the place that we hang out and uh, you know I got my chopper sitting on the, the, the street and the cops come and you're like oh yeah hi how you doing we're not holding we're not loaded nothing right and they're looking around, looking around. I said, whose motorcycle is this? And proudly, I say, it's mine. And he pulls out his handcuffs and says, I'm advising you of your constitutional rights. And I go, what the fuck did I do? You know, He found an old smashed tube of glue <clears throat> next to my motorcycle. And he said, you're sniffing glue. You're going to jail. What? Now, I don't know if you've ever smelled glue that you model airplanes. It's... it's has a distinctive odor mm -hmm. and if you're sniffing glue your whole face and mouth and everything smells like glue mm -hmm. well, you know so anyway i go to jail and uh i go before uh, a judge 
his name was Judge Hughes, Superior Court, and they he hated all the lynchmen, which was, uh, you know, he should have. Uh, we were assholes, and we, you know, uh, and he knew them all, every one of them. So I'm standing there, and they call me. Oh, before this, uh, the public, I don't have a, an attorney. Public defender comes up to me and says, Brian Renfro, yeah, um, you're arrested for sniffing glue. Look, I can just cop to it, and I'll get you uh, 10 days, you know. And, huh. and I, I said, you know, I could do 10 days in county jail standing on my head. That's no big deal, but I'm on probation. If I cop to that, they're going to violate my probation. He stands up and says, well, I'm just trying to do something for somebody who's not worth it. And he walks away. Whoa. So now I have no representation whatsoever. So Judge Hughes, uh, so they call my name. I stand before Judge Hughes. And he's going through, <clears throat> looking through the paperwork, you know. And I just say, okay. He raises his head up, and the veins in his head are bulging. His face is pure red. And I'm like, Fuck, I haven't even said anything yet. And he's, you know, he's ready to put me in the gas chamber. Well, behind me is another lynchman, an older guy who had probably held the Guinness Book of World Records for the most 180-day sentences, most by Judge Hughes. Wow. And he is sticking his head around watching me. And Judge Hughes sees him and says... Blah, blah, whatever. I don't want to say his name, but he says what his name is and what are you doing here and stuff. And, and you know, he, he laughs and leaves, right? And then Judge Hughes takes it out on me. And he says, you have an attorney? No. Well, do you have your public defender? I said, well, no, he just shined me on. What is that, lynchman talk? Oh, really? <laughs> now he's really fucking pissed. And, <clears throat> and he says, I'm going to give you a different judge because I'm prejudiced against you. Beautiful. I turned around and wow. left the courtroom with a big smile on my face. Two nights later, two detectives come in my house, hook me up, and take me to jail. <laughs> I appear before Judge Hughes, and he goes, 180 days. <laughs> and wait, you can't give me any time. You just said you were prejudiced against me. Hmm. Wow, yeah. So I, I did my time and got out. <laughs> what the fuck? Shout out to Judge Hughes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was, I mean, I, I, I see his point. We, you know, we were a bunch of just uh, drug addict murderers and fighting and shit. And, and so I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have liked myself. And I look back at myself in those days and I, I don't like who I was. Right. Um, and one time, you know, I used to take a lot of narcotics and I had a lot of pills. Uh, you can't even get these pills anymore, but rainbows and reds and yellows and blue heavens. And I used to keep them in a jar. And <clears throat> at one point, uh, my mom and I were living in a little apartment building. I don't know where my brother was at the time. I was maybe uh, 16, something like that. And, um, you know, my mom didn't have much of a family. We were really poor and shit. And I went into the bathroom in the morning and opened up, and I was, oh, so am I going to take some reds or some yellows or some rainbows or blue heavens, which uh, were fantastic. But anyway, I, I 
I looked at myself in the mirror and I was uh, in junior high school, you know, I was very popular, or, you know, I was a um, president of choir and I was in a singing group and I was wow. very athletic and everything. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was really skinny and uh, circles under my eyes and stuff. And I realized that I was taking the narcotics not to get high, but not to get sick. Because if I didn't take the narcotics, I got sick. Mm. And I uh, mm. dumped them down the toilet, flushed it. And that's how I started to get away from the narcotics. <laughs> it's an emotional Wow, moment. man. Game changer. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, didn't totally get it. Unfortunately, uh, um, I didn't like heroin. Um, I did it a couple times. Mm -hmm. Didn't like it. I, I, what I, my thing was acid. I loved acid. <laughs> so, but uh, there's, uh, I've got a picture in here of, of uh, Jim, Terry, Terry, and uh, Phil, all my the buddies that I ran with. Uh, Phil died uh, when I was in Vietnam from a heroin overdose, and the other three uh, died from heroin um, complications later on in life. And I was, there's only one friend of mine that we still talk. Um, he got out of that a long time ago. Um, his wife got him out of it, uh, the lady that he finally married. And um, they moved away. And he's the only, the only one still left in, in that club or gang or whatever you want to call it. So we were, they, we were pretty much like the 2% the that make it out of that. Wow. So, what a story, man. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, how, you know. And, how, how do you make someone uh, nowadays who, who who's in a situation like that see the future and see that there's a better You don't make them. Place? You, it, they have to make that decision. Yeah. You, you can't push them. Um, I just met an officer. Uh, I was in this uh, coffee shop uh, that I, I visit quite frequently. And I had seen this police officer come back and forth, and I was wearing um, um, a hoodie, and it had the, the Army emblem on it. And uh, the police officer came over and said, you were in the Army? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, I was in the 82nd Airborne. And he had been, a, uh, he had been now a cop for 27 years, and I think he had another few years to go. He was going to retire, you know. And we got to talking, and I told him the story about me getting arrested, and the best thing that ever happened to me was getting arrested. And so we exchanged cards, you know. And then we said our goodbyes and stuff, and he left. And I looked on the card, and he's chief of police. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> so <clears throat> that was cool. That's fun. But, yeah, I uh, um, and like I say, when I, I, I started to write in here, and I wrote a little piece, but looking back, and it, it, the... The, and, you know, I had, like, I was sitting on a couch one night, and um, my wife and I were watching TV, and, you know, something will spark um, something that happened to me in the past. And something sparked it, and I was like, oh, you know. And so I'm telling her yet another story. And my wife finally said, put this in a book. Yeah. You got to put these things in a book. So yeah, I knew the hardest part would be remembering, you know, um, not because of all the drugs and hitting my head on multiple occasions and, and being old. That had nothing to do with it. 
but I, I did have uh, issues in remembering. And right. when I talked to the psychiatrist at the VA about the, the PTSD and stuff, uh, she, she, I said, you know, why, <clears throat> why do I remember, like, for instance, uh, when uh, one of my best friends in Vietnam um, got, got killed, um, uh, it was a rocket, and five of them in that platoon got killed. And I couldn't get to him till the next day. And I was pulling his equipment off. His fingers broke, and his head came out in three pieces. When I, <laughs> and I said, you know, I was like, why, why can I not remember what happened before and after? I only remember that, you know. She said that's typical of trauma. That a lot of times you don't re remember what, you know, led up to it and what happened after that. You just remember that one thing. Really? Yeah. Well, I know as soon as that happened with the pulling off the equipment and stuff, my, my, my brain went numb. I couldn't think. Nothing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah, crazy, man. Wow. I got nothing. Um, <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah. So you've you've been to the uh, the Vietnam Wall. I know you have. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's gonna be tough. Yeah, it is. It, it, and especially, you know, what's really bad is, um, well, my my first best friend in uh, in in country, uh, he was the point man, and there's uh, my squad leader Kugler and I, and we were always in the the point squad and uh we were in very dense jungle and we it was the only time they ever made it a standing order that we wore our flak jackets because they were 20 pounds and you're in mud and it's 100 degrees and 100 degrees humidity and you just didn't want to wear them you know they made us and uh he it was the jungle was so dense like i wouldn't be able to see you and the next thing, boom, and I ran into where he was. Nobody was moving because they, they, it was booby traps everywhere, right? And I didn't think. I just ran to him, and I'm, I'm Timble, Timble, where are you? And he said, I'm here, man. And I looked over, and he was blown into, like, this molt, and uh, he had shrap metal all on his head, and his, his whole right foot was gone except for his big toe. And I'll never forget that. He had stepped on a grenade, a trip to a grenade, you know. And you don't remember so much what happens before that. I certainly don't remember what happened after that. I only remember that, you know. And uh, like I said, the, you know, the, the, uh, the lady psychiatrist was like, that's, that's normal in trauma, you know. So I don't uh, even know why I got off on that story, but, you know. <laughs> no, no, it's... It, it, um, did you find writing the book was cathartic at all? I don't know what that word means. Um, you, <laughs> I, I'd like to. Did I say it, that it, I didn't graduate high school? Was it uh, someone <laughs> somewhat therapeutic? Did it? Did it? Oh, help that's why help? I wrote that first story. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. As therapy for myself. Don't be using big words. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, man. <laughs> we'll give him shit later. Yeah. <clears throat> uh oh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, and that's that's. Uh, I don't watch um, 
Um, I'll watch maybe an, a war movie that's about World War II or something, but I won't watch uh, Vietnam stuff. It's just a little too real, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then plus, I can't stand, um, you know, how they 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 do something like that, but they have to have it Hollywood drama. Of course. So you're walking to now. I walked through the jungle, and you're trying to be quiet. You're not arguing back and forth about some stupid shit, you know, and then you get into a fight. You're like, you're trying to be as quiet as you can, which brings me to something that I I thought a lot of during our uh, exotic little marches in the, uh, you know, jungle. Um, We would, somebody would be making noise, clanking, talking, and I thought, you know, about 200 years ago, the British came over, banging on their drums, and we hid behind uh, pails of hay, uh, piles of hay, and picked them off. Now, 200 years later, here we are, making a bunch of noise, walking through the jungle, and they're shooting us. Did we not learn a fucking thing? <laughs> you know? I mean, really? Yeah, totally. No Be shit. quiet. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Why? Wow. Why would you want to make noise and talk? It, like I say, sometimes it got complacent. I suppose. Yes, that's um, true. Yeah, after, was, after a few days of silence, you kind of... That's a pretty big word, complacent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I learned that when I was writing the book. I was looking up something. <laughs> like, what, what is that? The thesaurus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like kind of truth. Um, but... I uh, you get you get that way. Yeah. You, you don't until something happens. And we, uh, when I was carrying, uh, I carried radio. I was an RTO, and they they say uh, the life expectancy of an RTO is was five seconds, <laughs> because they want to shoot you. you yeah. Know, they see you're carrying a radio, and I was carrying a radio, and <clears throat> five of us we were in point squad, and and we we couldn't get over this mound, uh, this big small hill kind of thing. It was all elephant grass. And I don't know if you've ever been anywhere near that, but they're sharp, long things, and they're like a saw. Really? That's you can't walk through it. I mean, so we were walking around, and uh, um, uh, Mr. Uh, um, Viet Cong was decided at that point to uh, test out his new AK-47 to see how it was working. And pinned us down. And in a rice paddy, we were in a rice paddy, and there was no place to hide. I mean, I went straight on my back when the, the, the gunfire started to happen. And our M60 gunner was going to help. And he tried to shoot, and he had put the piston in backwards, so we had a single-shot um, M60 machine gun. So all I, I remember the, um, our, our lieutenant, who was our, our platoon leader, or uh, yeah, platoon leader, he's yelling, run for the dike, run for the dike, because there's dikes every so often in a rice paddy, you know. And so all you're thinking is, you get up and you start running, you know, and get over that dike, and that's all you see is that dike. And trying to run through mud that's knee-high, and you, you know, and like I say, I was uh, about 138 pounds uh, with a radio, with a spare battery and all your ammunition, everything. there's a lot of weight, you know, and you're sinking in this stuff. And I, you, you talk about cardio 
and motivation. Mm -hmm. Big time. <laughs> yeah. And, and finally, when the, the one-sided uh, gun battle was over, um, what well, I guess he decided to the be the the Kong guy decided to go off someplace. The uh, one of the the guys in my uh, company came up and said, "Wow, did you see all those bullets?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "As you were running, bullets were landing all around you. You didn't see them." And I was like, "Fuck no! All I can see was that <laughs> dike and getting over that dike, man." <laughs> wow. I was not a hero. I did not. Um, I didn't go there to really kill anybody. I went there because I felt it would be the way I could save my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, um, I didn't go there to be a hero and to get up there. You know, I wasn't Audie Murphy. I wasn't going to stand there and, you know, um, I would fight and I'd do what I had to do and uh, I could take orders and I'd, I'd be right up there with the guys. But um, that wasn't why I went there. I wasn't like to stop communism. I was there to, per, to, you know, help my life and, and get out of my, my uh, where I was. <laughs> you, you, know? you used the word decorated earlier. What, what, what's that mean? Oh, it, five medals. Okay. And well, you used the you word. You just threw that off. <laughs> and I know it's not a big word, but yeah. you used the word dyke. Uh, I only got one. I only know one thing. That yeah, that and, that's that's, <laughs> and that's not what it. And that's not it. What is a dyke? Seriously, it's um, uh, where they. It's um, a mound built up. <laughs> I don't even fucking know. He's Sorry. telling the story. Okay, so I resisted making a joke as you're saying it, and like I'm thinking, you got all these soldiers running for a dyke in the middle of a paddy. So I'm going. I'm not going to say anything, and so then you did. Well. Somebody yeah. had to say well, it. Well, somebody had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 a, a built-up area that goes all the way across um, the rice paddy, and they can walk on that. It's like a dam. Yeah, like a yeah. yeah. Okay, and, and but it must have been freaky running up and over those things. Um. Well, no, we were pretty much always in the rice paddy. Yeah. Um, oh. Okay. But you know, yeah. but to get behind that, getting behind that was you know just trying to stay out of the I the gunfire. I see. So, you know, no, they, they, um, I have, a um, a CIB, which is a combat infantryman's badge. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to be in combat for at least 35 days before you can earn that. Is that the rifle? Yeah. Yeah. The tattoo? Uh, yeah. You I have got that, that on my it's back. on your back, right? Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I, I have three, uh, army accommodation medals for, with V devices, and that means valor. Um, and then I have a bronze star with valor. And, what, and an air medal. And what did you get the bronze star for? Um, I, I wrote in the book, I did, they, very interesting, when I <clears throat> was leaving my company and everybody was going to Hawaii to play Army and I was staying there, the company clerk, you know, they give you all your paperwork, your medical and all that stuff, you know, and uh, I said, okay, see you later. I said, oh, wait a minute. Something else came for you. And he, and he pulls out this uh, blue box. And uh, oh, what's that? And I look in there, and it's a bronze star with a V device. That was it. Usually when you get a medal, like when I got accommodation things and stuff, you know, you stand there, and the colonel comes down and pins it on you and salutes all that shit. Um, the, the bronze star was just like, oh, yeah, here you go. See ya. There and there was. I have a a thing that says, you know, may it be.
be all known or somebody to whatever he bronze star on such a date uh, for heroism. And that's it. A, a date? I mean, there was only one date you looked at, and that was the date you were going home. You had no idea what day it was. You didn't care. I mean, right. was it Sunday? I'm going to watch football? No, I'm in a fucking jungle. You know, um, so the dates didn't really mean anything. I have no idea what, uh, you know. I never, I never thought of it that way. Uh, there's no reason to know or care what day it is. No. You lose all sense Christmas, of time. I remember Christmas because uh, we were, <laughs> the Navy, we were on these ships, right? And, and the, the Navy, the regular Navy didn't really like us a lot. Because we're, you know, combat soldiers and we're dirty and um, we got packages from home and pretty much every package had a fifth of whiskey in it of some sort and you're not allowed to drink on, on the boats, right? And, you know, we're combat and we're getting hammered, but it's only for like one day, right? And uh, so they, they, the Navy, the regular Navy guys didn't really like us because, and, and everybody just turned a blind eye that we were drinking. So I, I have a picture somewhere of, uh, that I took of the little area on the, the ship where we were with a little bitty kind of Christmas tree and, you know, some decorations and hmm. bottles of booze and shit, you know, <laughs> uh, but cool. we would go out on these tango boats and they were Navy, but they were volunteers to go to be in the tangos, uh, and it was those smaller aircraft or um, uh, boats that drop the ramp and you go out, you right. know. Yeah. And every night that we would, um, um, before it got dark, the, the boats would start to do racetrack and move maneuver until it was dark. And the reason for that was um, the shore were relatively close on the Mekong Delta rivers and stuff. Well, they could mortar the boats. So we would do all these things and move, maneuver the ships around so they didn't know where we were because we wouldn't stop maneuvering until after it was dark and all the lights would be out and they had no, didn't know where to mortar us, you know. So when they have to do that, all these um, uh, little boats that we got, the tango boats we called them, were all lined up on this big pier that was tired uh, tied on the side of the ship. Well, to maneuver, all the, the tango boats would have to go out. And they would do racetrack stuff and until the, the, the other ship got, the mother ship, <laughs> uh, got anchored. And then they would come back and tie up alongside. Them. So these guys, since they were in combat, pretty much, you know, they partied. Mm. So if you knew these people uh, on some of the different uh, tango boats and you were there you would just get on a tango boat and when they're doing racetrack they're smoking pot and drinking and it was a party man <laughs> that's good you know, right on. it's good to have friends yeah and good to have good memories with some of this stuff that yeah that was uh um very interesting there's a picture in here actually when uh um, right after Timble had lost his foot and my squad leader got hit uh, in the leg and uh, they both went, you know, um, to the hospital. And my squad leader was, um, he was back on the ship when we came in, when the, the, I guess we were in tango boats when they tied up and came back off the mission. 
And they always had um, four or five 55 gallon drums full of ice and beer every time we'd come back off a mission. And I've got a picture of, of me and, and Kugler, and he's handing me a beer. He met me right, you know, as soon as I got off, he was waiting for me, you know. And hmm. that was cool. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, Brian? That was cool. <clears throat> yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, he, Andrew said something about good memories. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I want to go there, but... Um, what are you doing now? Like you're doing something now about movie dog training. I read about it. Oh yeah, we're, we're uh, um, we have a course. There's a, a really good friend of mine, um, Joel Silverman, mm -hmm. uh, and he he came to me around 1980 up at Universal Studios. He was a killer whale trainer and very good at that, and a very good dolphin trainer. He wanted to learn domestics. And so I taught him how to train dogs. And, you know, I mean, he was already a trainer. So it sure. really didn't take time. He understands the concept. Yeah. Now, since then, he's written five or six books on dog training. Um, he's done two. He's had two different shows on Animal Planet that he produced and put together. And he does seminars. And he also does classes on people who want to learn how to train dogs and advanced training. And now... With Joel Silverman and myself, we are doing a course on movie dog training, film. So we teach you not only uh, to help with the dogs in advanced training and everything, but we teach you everything about film. Who is a director? What does he do? What is your role with a director, with an assistant director? Um, with the property master, what, you know, uh, they might have um, uh, a picture, um, a certain collar they want your dog to wear or something. So we teach them everything on that. We teach them set etiquette. We teach them how to be on a film set. We teach them um, where you might have to stand and how you need to be at the blocking of a scene and make sure that whatever the dog action is and where you need to be, you need to let the uh, director of photography and the grips and everybody know where you need to be so they don't put a big-ass light behind mm -hmm. you because mm -hmm. you're directing your dog and you're casting shadows everywhere. It's a five-day course, and wow. we teach, you know, uh, we teach everything. We really do because Joel and I, of course, we've been in... <clears throat> Uh, dog training for films for ever and a day. Absolutely. Your resume is stellar. I mean, it's crazy why somebody wouldn't do this, but who, who's this directed to, Brian? Like, like, um, can, can anybody go and learn how to do that? No, their... the criteria really is it's for uh, people who have taken uh, Joel's advanced, kind of advanced training. So they now that these are people who are trainers from serious, different walks of life serious yeah. stuff yeah yeah and and they've uh, a lot of them own um, say day daycare centers for dogs and do a little bit of training and a lot oh, of people who okay. are really into dog training and it, once they take his course and and they learn um more advanced training that's when you can take our course and we tell them it's like uh they're using, they use dogs 
in films all the time. And these people are getting paid um, usually an average of $50 an hour with overtime. And then if it's your dog, um, they're, they pay like maybe, I don't know, $200, $300 a day uh, for rental on the dog. And so as a dog trainer on film, and if you're good, you can make a whole lot of money. Right. Well, I don't imagine there's a whole ton of you out there either. Um, real good trainers. There's, you know, there's, you know, some people get jobs just like the stunt business. Um, I right. mean, there's some people out there who aren't the greatest stunt people in the world, but they're working because they're working cheaper. And uh, true, you know, true. so uh, and and there's a market for it. I mean, the people. There's we we our first class is going to be. Uh, the last week of March, and that that's I think we have twelve people, which is kind of uh, the maximum for a, a for one course because we we teach so much. <clears throat> March of twenty twenty three, just so that if somebody's yeah. listening to this yeah. next year, yeah. Um, okay, so now if somebody owned, let's say, like a daycare center for dogs, like you said, and they they're in a bit of training and they've taken advanced training courses for dogs who live in the private sector mm -hmm. for people who have dogs that person can come out of interest or, mm -hmm. or is it just specifically for people that want to work in the film business mostly that okay uh but there are people who would you know and they have the money to do it they they want to uh hmm, that's that's really an interesting course i might want to do that you know there's a lot of people that we have met over the, the years who have like, um, say, uh, dog care centers and a little bit of training and stuff. And they have done a little bit of film work because uh, a local um, uh, production might come in there and uh, they want a dog and they don't want to go to Hollywood and pay all that money. That's interesting. So they'll go to somebody like that and say, hey, look, can you get your dog to sit and stay and well... Um, they're doing this commercial about tampons or something. So, you know, um, a lot of people have done some stuff like that. And, and once we started to do this course, they're like, wow, wow, really? Yeah, and they, they're anxious to take it. And I love training. I love teaching. I've always loved teaching. And the, the best thing about Joel and I, we don't have egos. We've done a lot of stuff. We've trained a lot of dogs. But we don't have any egos. I... I will teach you and tell you every single yeah. thing I know and, yeah. and shortcuts and whatever. Amazing. Yeah, you you've know? always been an incredibly giving person. That that I know about you. Ask my ex-wives. <laughs> you've given them everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, have you ever, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Have you ever uh, thought about doing like a YouTube channel or something of the sort? Where where it kind of goes out to the masses uh, um, at home Where you can teach people for free, Brian? So well, what? we don't. <laughs> we, we you can teach them for free. No, I, Joel has um, <laughs> no, uh, things. Does he? You know, on his website. Well, if you get website, millions of viewers, you end up getting paid. It's not, yeah, you know, no, it's kidding, not like. Uh, I know. Yeah, and I, I don't know. You know. I don't know. Uh, no, and it's a, it's a great idea. Um, you know, I'm just a lazy fuck and haven't done anything. And so there you go. Yeah, well, <laughs> if life is good, who gives a shit? Yeah, brother, you, you know, you know. I just wondered. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, but I mean, great idea. I've, I mean, I tried to. 
Okay, so our last dog uh, did nothing. Um, and, and, and same with the dog before that. That's true. But no, but the, but dog, the dog before, before that, that, she did a few things. She did yes, a few she things. Did. She could sit. Yeah. I trained her. I would point my finger at her and say, bang, and she'd fall over dead. And yeah. then she got to the point where she would run across the backyard like lickety split and I'd go bang and she'd fall over on her side. Yeah, oh, she, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was awesome. But her name w- was Brody, which is a stunt term. Right, that, for sure, fun. yeah, yeah. And um, she was Brodying every time. Yeah, did. she was brilliant. But uh, she was named Brody for that reason. We did that. But um, So there are people out there that want to train their dogs. Um, what, I don't even know where I was going with that. But of all the dogs that you've trained... Uh, do you call them makes? How do you, what do you call it? A species? Type of dog? It's not yeah, species. What type of dog? Breeds. Like, and breed. Yeah, breed. That, breed. That's the word breed. I'm looking for. Um, I had, uh, well, uh, uh, when I did the TV series uh, back in the 80s called Here's Boomer, he was a mutt that you can't even find in a dog pound anymore. But he was, you know, 57 varieties of dog just all put together, long hair and, and all that. Um, and then the... One of the last dogs that you might have known, Casey. I don't know mm-hmm. if you knew who Casey was. Or I not. do. Um, I, I, um, he was a Border Collie Australian Shepherd, two amazingly uh, intelligent dog breeds. And uh, I, I wanted to, I noticed while I was working up here doing stunts that there weren't a lot of quality dog trainers. Um, and I only knew how to train dogs to a certain level because I had been around the best and had learned from them. So uh, I thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to get a dog. And, and you know, because I was doing a lot of stunt work. and But I thought, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have a, a well-trained dog and, you know, get a, a show and, you know, make a thousand bucks a day. And that's what I was doing. So I, I went out, uh, I started looking at papers and I, I, found, I found this uh, uh, puppies or these puppies uh, in Stratford. So I drove all, I, you know, I was living in Pickering at the time, so I drove all the way out there. And uh, I go to walk in the house of Border Collies and th- dogs all over the place. And right away, one of them came up and bit me in the leg. <laughs> and so I motored on back there and they showed me in there these litter of puppies. And I went, wow, they were just so beautiful. And, and there were two of them that really looked alike and I didn't get both of them, I only got the one. But I trained Casey up, and um, I think the first thing he worked on was a year after I got him. I got him at, uh, I got him at six weeks old, and I started training him um, right away, <coughs> but not heavy training. And the one thing that I really iterate um, with trainers and people want to do that, you, the first thing you do and the most important thing you do is build a bond with your dog. Build that bond. Be close to him. And Casey was, uh, he was, you know, my pet. Um, my, slept with me. You know, we did everything together. And we were, he was my partner in work, you know. But we had just such a great bond. You know? And then, so I got him all trained up and I started working him on different shows. And, uh, you know, he worked out really well. And, and you, ha- you used to have like a, a little demo video with him, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I actually remember seeing it, I think. Really? Years and oh, yeah. years and years ago. Yeah. Many yeah. years ago. As a matter of fact, the, the old house that I had. <laughs> way, way long Sorry. time ago. Sorry. 
there. I did have that video, and I did show you. I remember, remember. I'm way younger than you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we 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 shot it with one of those cameras that you go yeah. like this. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I mean, you you started your career a long time ago. I think it was the uh, first thing you did was Gone with the Wind or something. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty close to Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I came up with the line, "I don't give a damn." But I, yeah, I totally remember this video. Um, oh, I got to. I was doing this uh, in that video. Um, I, I wanted Casey to uh, jump up and push me down the stairs. And the house that I, I owned, the, the stairs went down like this and stopped. There was a wall there. And then there was three steps this way, you know. So I had Casey hit me and I did a backfall down the stairs, went right through the fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't so great. <laughs> so after you've created a bond with a dog, what, what what would a homeowner want to do with their their dog? What's the first thing you start training a dog? I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, how do I stop him from doing this? How do I stop? Yeah. Teach your dog to lie down and stay. That's all you have to do. Teach him to lie down and stay. Teach him to sit and stay. He's doing this and he's bothering you. Come on. Lie down, stay. Just relax. Stay there. Okay, now you can get up. You you keep pawing me and doing that stuff again. Lie down, stay. You don't need to be doing that. Just relax, you know. Um, so a lot of people, if they just teach their dog to sit and stay and lie down and stay, they'd alleviate a lot of problems mm -hmm. uh, that they're going to have in the future. But, yeah. you know, if you want to teach your dog, you know, fun things you know like you were saying bang and he he falls over or to sit up and you know or, or to take a bow and back up and Do retrieve and all those and things you know i mean you can have laundry yeah yeah <laughs> you can get a beer in case you, know. you mailed a letter yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah mail vhs tape in the machine that yeah never, that's what i remember yeah, yeah i remember the letter that. never yeah. went anywhere but you know <laughs> <laughs> But patience, do you ever find, do you ever yell at your dog? There's people that yell at their dogs. Oh, I, I'm sure at some point it would be like, what the fuck are you doing? But I always made fun, especially in the live shows, um, because, you know, especially when you're doing a lot of shows, something's going to mess up. And I loved it, especially when the dog did something that messed up a little bit in the live show. And the problem most people have as a performer, and you're doing something and the dog messes up, they get real upset, and it's like, oh, man, the dog messed up. And, and the audience sees this. Mm. And I was so good at the live show because I wasn't the, the trainer up on the stage with the dog. I was friends in the audience. I was friends with the audience. And I was friends with the, the animals. And they could tell that. They could tell I really loved them. So when the dog would screw up a little bit, it's like, you know, I, I would make jokes, and sure. I, uh, you know, and it would be like, hey, that was really clever. Uh, however, that wasn't a trick. So <laughs> now would you like to do it the right way? You know, and so the whole entire audience is not on edge because, oh, shit, what's he what's yeah. he going to do because the dog screwed up? It's like, wow, he's having fun with it. You know, oh, OK, yeah, yeah. all the tension's gone and everything. Absolutely. You know. And I would do that constantly. Um, and the one thing that I, I, I'm teaching people to, to do the live show, you know, there's, there's certain jokes uh, for the show that's all, that you're almost always going to say for, for one situation or another. However, you don't say a joke if it doesn't come up. 
You don't just throw yeah. a joke in because it's a joke. Well, I never like did that. Dyke comment. <clears throat> the what? The dyke comment. Oh yeah, yeah. <sighs> My well, apologies. No, that was that was very tasteful. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> So hey, speaking and of what his address and just send all the letters. To him. <laughs> uh, speaking of live shows, um, you're the only one of the three of us that's ever been on Johnny Carson. Well, that's true. That's, uh, <laughs> what, yeah, was that, well, what was that like? Just hanging out. It, it was. I had I had done the Johnny Carson show uh, twice before. Okay, but had never really been with Johnny Carson. Like one time. Um, we had a cat doing different things, but this time when um, um, the TV series Here Bo Here's Boomer was out, and Johnny Carson had said the night before that uh, the Boomer series had been canceled, and it hadn't. Ah. So, and I didn't know that because I didn't watch the show. So anyway, I um, I'm up at Universal, and um, I get a call from the Carson show. Can you bring Boomer down to do the show? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Because they, they would shoot it, you know, like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon and then show it that night. So, okay. So I, um, I'm i walking and I don't really know what's going on. Well, Johnny Carson wants to publicly apologize to Boomer for saying he got canceled. <laughs> That's a great stick. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walk in and, uh, you know, um, uh, Joe P.A., whoever he is, inter you know, and he says... Uh, and Johnny Carson walks up and uh, says, hi, I'm Johnny Carson. And I'm like, who? Man. Yeah. And I, and so, <laughs> and so I, um, you know, I like to joke around and shit. Right. And anyway, so uh, Carson says, you know, we're going to, um, I'm going to give him some gifts and, you know, like a Gucci slipper and, you know, just things. For, and he says, uh, he says, just have fun with it. And I'm like, Okay. You're talking to the wrong guy because I'm not afraid to have fun. And what I did was I, I cut up uh, on the way. I got some hot dogs and cut up little bits of high, hot dogs to work to work Johnny with. What, Boomer's real name was Johnny. And I never called him Boomer on the show. I always called him Johnny because that's a, that was his name. And that's the way I trained him. Oh, wow. You know? So um, I wanted, Carson was interviewing me about some of the, and I, I wanted to work the dog for him. So uh, you know, Carson was at a desk and the main chair the dog was in. So I got on the other side of Carson to work the dog, you know. And uh, the seat, at the very end, I wanted him to sit up and the seat was very cushy. It was, he was having a hard time sitting up, you know. And me, I'm like, Johnny, sit up. You know, I got a little... So <laughs> I saw he sits coming. up and I... I get a, you know, I, I got some hot dog in my hand and I, I pay my dog, uh, Johnny, and I notice Carson is, is like this. So, so I shoved a bite of hot dog in his mouth. <laughs> and he, um, I'm almost positive, he, he was like, what, was that a lewd? And, you know, because Quaaludes back in the day and then the band, the band was cracking up and all that. And then uh, um, Shelly Winters, uh, she was pissed off because I was the first one. She was supposed to be the first one out there. And I was like, oh. So she comes and sits down in the chair right on my dog. And why he didn't bite? Because he was that kind of dog. You know, he was a dog pound dog. And he got in a lot of fights. And why he didn't bite her uh, is beyond me, but he didn't. So, you know, um, we pretty much said our, you know, 
shake hands and said goodbye and see you later. <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. How, so Carson also got a hot dog. Well, he, he didn't it's want one. So I just shoved it in his mouth. Well, he said, <laughs> have awesome. fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because I was great. working on Here's Boomer the very next day. And it's not like nowadays where everybody and their brother has a talk show and it's no big deal to be on a talk show. Yeah, there's Johnny Carson was yeah. way up there. There was there was nobody yeah, that's right. other than Johnny Carson. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, um, after that, I so I go to work the next day and actors are coming up to me going, oh, I saw you on a Carson show. You weren't nervous at all. I'd have been, you know, and I'm going... <laughs> yeah, you know, an old, an old drug addict gang member, and, and, yeah, and that yeah, was pretty good. <laughs> Man, that is a wild experience. So okay, cool. so speaking of former drug addict gang member going to jail, how huh? the hell did you get into training President Bush, the original's dog? Oh, I didn't train his dog. Oh, you didn't? No, no, that that picture you're talking yeah. about. The, no, um, and it wasn't. He wasn't. Pre he was vice president. Oh, then the, never mind then. At the <laughs> but they wa I was doing a, a tour with Benji. <clears throat> okay. And they wanted to. Um, Barbara, his wife, has a, had a dog, so they wanted Benji and her dog to meet. So oh, you wow. know they 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 took us to the, I guess the White House or something, someplace like that, and. Um, you know, you have to go through all the security things and all that stuff. And so I was sitting there with the picture and, and uh, uh, Bush came in um, and kind of squatted down and, and took the picture with us, you know. And he said, yeah, I'm late for the baseball game because he played a lot of baseball. And, oh, man, I, I was like, can I play too? You know, I didn't want, you know, and I thought, no, I better not ask that because, <laughs> But I really wanted to, to play ball with them. You know, I thought that would be so cool. Yeah, it would have been. You know? Yeah. But anyway, I was on tour and, and uh, you know, doing that. But that's, that's what I that know the picture very on. well. Okay, that, okay, cool. That's awesome. But yeah, no, I didn't train their dog. What a wild, what a wild life, man. Yeah. I've had a wild life. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. I, that's why I did this, you know. No, it's great. Show the, show the people the book again. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, bring it this way. I don't know what the frame is. Hard work and dumb luck. That's <laughs> Brian moving. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know it's it's like you can you can start on any chapter. Absolutely, because it's all mixed See, up. That's you know, what I love about the book is because I read a great deal of it. I can't say I read the whole thing, but what I do do is I pick up and I open it anywhere. And if I've read that particular section, I move to the next piece. Mm -hmm. And so it's all stories. Um, well, congratulations nicely, nicely. that you you read a book. I, I, you know, I think yeah, yeah. Well, well there's no big words apparently. <laughs> Any book, I'm, I'm happy you did that. Hey, man, and while we've got it here, because that's my copy, there's a pen. Can you sign it? Yeah. What name should I put? Uh, Random <laughs> butcher. It'll it'll be more money if it's not to made somebody. But um, yeah, thanks, Brian. And just so people know, I mean, we've known each other forever, and. Um, one of my favorite people and I'm so happy people don't realize thank you sir people don't realize that, oh, that hey, uh, uh, thank god you don't have a pocket in that shirt the um, um, this this particular podcast with you Brian has been almost three years in the making really we talked about it before COVID oh, yeah, 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 we yeah, wanted yeah, to get yeah. here you weren't here you were in, in North Carolina 
and um, yeah. Um, yeah. we couldn't. I couldn't get to you. You couldn't get to me. Um, and now it's somewhat over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're here. Yeah. And now that I'm on a work furlough, and you know, I can I can get up here. You yeah. Know, and no longer in the uh, the protection program, and you know. <laughs> and I mean, it was, and it's also a pleasure for me to sit here and listen to what you have to say. It's incredible stuff. Oh well, man. thank you for coming. I mean, that's yeah. you know, you two guys. It's it's so nice for you to say things like that to me because a, a lot of people could say that, but coming from you guys, that means a lot. I mean, it really means a lot. So thank you. That's just true. You're man. Welcome, man. If experience is life, uh, you're winning, man. It's uh, crazy. Well, that's Crazy. really nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, well, hey, give him oh, a Oh, yeah. Hey, Brian, please. What? Before, sign we, our table. before we exit this oh. podcast, please sign our table. You, you can, can move sign the, anywhere. Move, you swing want. the mic around and reach up here, pick a place that's open or wherever. And, and feel free to draw a photograph. A, pic, a photograph. <laughs> draw a <laughs> photograph. <laughs> No, this I can't draw. But there's I, a lot I, of space uh, here. Yeah, there's a lot of space over here, up there, anywhere. Wow, who did that? Uh, oh, that's uh, Mariah. Uh, Mariah. Mariah. Owen. She's a <laughs> an incredibly prolific producer. Uh, really, really interesting lady. Wow, that is okay. Um, and clearly, she's an artist. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Good times. good times. Scratch, scratch, scratch. That's all they hear. It's a good friends. Love it. Thanks, Brian. It's a book, ladies and gentlemen. He's writing a second volume. So, um, and to those who never made it home. Thanks, man. Fucking oh, Jesus. Um, Brian, thanks, thanks for coming and sharing your life with us, brother. Oh, my pleasure. My my pleasure. You know, and and uh, um, give me a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, man. You, I'll, I'll call you. You come up. Hey, ladies and gentlemen. This one, hard work and dumb luck. Brian Renfro, Amazon. I'll put it up. Thank you, Brian. It's fun. It's a fun read. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Oh, my pleasure. Are you kidding? Yeah, so no, it's amazing. Our our pleasure. It's incredible. I, I could go on for hours. Yeah, but we oh, won't. we'll yeah. wait till it's over. Then we'll keep going. Yeah, you you <laughs> you get me talking, and it's hard to shut me up. No, <laughs> I, I I love it. Anyway, it's the best part. So are we still on air? We are. Okay. Yeah. We're about to be off, so. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Uh, cut it, D.